0: You are listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, from our Counter Culture series, a verse-by-verse study of the Sermon on the Mount. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Now here's Pastor Nick. William Shakespeare said that all the world is a stage and the men and women are merely players. You know, for anyone who stands on a stage for whatever reason, whether to uh, perform or to speak or to teach, one of the most important things is to know your audience. You know, are you speaking to a group of kindergartners? Are you speaking to a group of college students? The, The people you're speaking to, who you're doing something for or unto, that affects very much what you do and how you do it. So for you know, I just mentioned that Pastor Jeff and I were heading over to Eastern Europe uh, tomorrow to do ministry. And when you speak internationally, that's very important. It's important to know your audience. Uh, you speak differently. You use different analogies. When I pastored in Hungary, I actually pastored two churches, and they were in very they were very different. One was in a bigger city. It was mostly you know middle class urbanite people and the other one was in a very small town and it was attended by mostly poor migrant workers many of them were illiterate many of them only had been to school for a few years and the way that I spoke to each of those groups was very different because of you know who they were I had to know my audience so it's always important to know your audience and I think that for most of us uh, knowing our audience is something that we intuitively do because our actions are affected by who we do something for and why we do those things. Now here in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to talk about the importance of sometimes stopping, taking a break, and considering why you are doing what you are doing and who you're really doing it for. The title of today's message is, Know Your Audience. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, just... Some quick background. Jesus is speaking to a group of prospective disciples. And he's describing to them, he's laying out for them and for us what it means to be a disciple of him. What it means to be part of this kingdom that he has come to establish. Jesus is giving the foundational principles of what it means to be a Christian. Of how we will live if he is our king. Furthermore, Jesus is laying out a culture. He's laying out a way of living and relating to people and God and things, which is radically different than what is common to most people in the world. It's an approach to life which is extremely countercultural, And so we pick up here in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is saying something very countercultural in the area of what we would call piety. Now let me explain what I mean by the word piety, because I'm going to be using it a lot. Uh, what I mean by that is, outward practices of spirituality and faith okay so here's what jesus says in verse 1 chapter 6 verse 1 beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven In the last chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus, especially towards the end, talked a lot about this topic of righteousness. And the main point that he was making is this, that righteousness is not only an issue of your actions, righteousness is more than that, it's actually an issue of your heart. In other words, God isn't only interested in your outward actions and the things that you actually do outwardly, God cares also very much about what's going on inside your heart and in your mind. Now in chapter 5, Jesus talked about righteousness mostly in terms of morality. But here in chapter 6, Jesus is going to be talking about righteousness as regards piety. Now again, piety being outward practices of spirituality and faith. These are things like going to church, reading your Bible, fasting, giving of tithes and offerings, doing charitable deeds, these kinds of things. Now, it's important to notice this, that both of these things are important to God. These are two aspects of righteousness, and both are important to God, both morality and piety. And I think that's very important to recognize because some people, especially in our society, I think they tend to think that God is concerned really with morality, but not so much with piety, right? That, you know, um, you hear people say things like, you know, God doesn't really care if you go to church or not. God doesn't really care if you read your Bible or or pray or whatever, you know, God doesn't really, He doesn't really care that much if you give tithes or offerings or, you know, give of your finances because, you know, those are just religious things and that's not what God's interested in. God just wants you to live a moral and ethical life. How many times have you heard people say things like that? I think it's very common, especially in our culture. And, And here's what Jesus would say. Well, that's not actually true. I mean, actually, piety is very important to God. He does care about that. So here in this section, Jesus is telling us this. Piety is a good thing. Just make sure you know who your audience is. Make sure you're clear on why you're doing acts of piety and who you're doing them for. Because a lot of people get off track with that and it can get pretty ugly pretty fast when you're doing acts of piety for the wrong reasons. And so Jesus gives us here the first reason, uh, first wrong reason for piety, and he says it's to be seen by others. If doing acts of piety to be seen by others, to impress others, that's the, the wrong motivation. It's the wrong way to do it. You know, I think we live in a very image-conscious culture. We're very focused on how we look, how we appear, and how other people perceive us. Your image, you might say, both figuratively and literally your image is very important in our culture and this can easily bleed over into our thinking about spiritual matters as well the thinking kind of goes like this you know that it doesn't really matter if I am spiritual what's important is that other people perceive me to be spiritual right That other people think that I'm spiritual that I have the image of being a spiritual person and I think, especially nowadays, with the internet and social media being such a big part of life, you know, it's almost like social media is an extension of your identity to the point where, you know, it's almost like if you don't post something online, well, then it might as well have never even happened, right? Now, I use social media. I do think it's a great tool for keeping in touch and and spreading messages, Uh, and I can't help but, now think about this. I cannot help but think what the Apostle Paul would have done if he would have had the internet in his day. He would have freaked out, this guy, right? Like, he would have been like, wait a second here, you're telling me I can reach billions of people with the gospel, like, without even getting out of my bed, right? Like, I can I can write a letter to the Galatians, and it doesn't have to be carried by some guy who's probably going to get murdered on the way, and it's going to take him, like, three months. It'll arrive in, like, two seconds to the Galatians? You mean I could preach the gospel to people in every corner of the world without having to get on boats and get shipwrecked and get bitten by snakes and all kinds of stuff like that? Sign me up. I want a laptop and I want some free Wi-Fi right now. That's what he would have said. The Apostle Paul, if he was around today, he would have seen the internet as the greatest avenue mankind has ever had for spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. He would have had a blog. He would have had a Facebook account. He would have been all over Twitter blowing the thing up. He'd have a podcast. Podcast, he would be all over that thing but the same things that are great about social media that make them an amazing powerful tool for good are also the things which can lend themselves to its being detrimental and I think we all realize that but here's the thing about social media that's very you know core to what it is. For better or for worse, social media is a, it's a controlled environment, right? In which you control what other people can see about you or what they can't see about you. What they know about you or what they don't know about you. In other words, you project an image about yourself. That's what you're doing on social media. You are projecting an image about yourself to the world. And it may or may not reflect reality. For example, I know people if you would look at their Facebook you look at their Instagram you would think that they're just happy smiling people they love life they love their family they love their spouse they're happily married they love Jesus and, and they're just happy and fulfilled and everything's awesome but in reality that same person is actually super depressed their marriage is sputtering and struggling their walk with the Lord is not strong at all and yet they project this image online that everything's good but it's not actually reality Now, you might say, well, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to just like put out all their junk out there on the internet for everybody to see? That's not a good idea either. The point is this. We we live in a society which is increasingly image conscious and image focused, in which it is easier and, and more common than ever before to project an image about yourself to the world for people to see and think things about you which may or may not be true. But here's the thing, that God sees reality, right? God sees reality. He knows what's actually going on in reality, in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships. You can't fool him. You can't pull one over on him. He sees through the fake smiles and the misleading facades. God sees through the image that we try to project about ourselves to the reality. And what God desires is for us to be authentic with him because he knows it anyway, so piety is good. It's just very important, and this is what Jesus is saying. It's so important that you know your audience. Who are you doing that for? Are you doing those acts of piety simply out of reverence and devotion to God? Or are you doing them to be seen by others? Now somebody might say, well, wait a second. In our last chapter, I specifically remember in chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, let your light so shine So that other people will see it and they'll see your good works and they'll give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So wasn't Jesus there saying that we should have a very public spiritual life and that we should let other people see our good works? Absolutely, that's what he was saying. Well, well then what is this about where it says that we should be doing things in secret? Well, Well, here's the difference. Think about it this way. The followers of Jesus should be seen doing good works, but they should not be doing good works in order to be seen. Does that make sense? How about I put it this way? One author said it this way. God's desire is that we would show our faith when we are tempted to hide it, but that we would hide our piety when we are tempted to show it off. I'll say that one more time. So God's desire is that we would show our faith when we're tempted to hide it, and that we would hide our piety when we're tempted to show it off. You know, our church was mentioned in the newspaper the past two Sundays here in Longmont, and uh, the, in the first one, they were interviewing me, and I got to share about, you know, some of the stuff that our sh- church does in the community and how our church is very focused on the gospel. In the second article, they were talking about our outreach that we did last Saturday here in the park. And this is a quote from the newspaper. It said, Whitefields employs a very community, community-oriented approach in Longmont. And Senior Pastor Nick Cady says, we love our community And we want to bless families. So I think that's great, right? Because you know what that is? That's letting our light shine before our city so that they know who we are and who our God is because of our good works. We're able to share with them about our God and about the gospel. Now, uh, we should be doing good works and we should be public about our faith in order to bring attention to who our God is and to share about the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus. But we don't do it in order to bring attention to ourselves In a way of bragging about our piety. So Jesus says if you do things for the applause and the attention of other people, then their applause and their attention, that will be your reward. You will receive uh, no other reward from your Father who's in heaven. But let me tell you, it is much better to be rewarded by God than to be applauded by men. So Jesus says... To do acts of piety for the purpose of being seen by others, that is what it means to be a religious hypocrite. That's the definition. And, and the last thing this world needs, right, is more religious hypocrites. See what he says about hypocrisy in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now Jesus uses this word hypocrite to describe these people. Now the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypokrites, uh, which means a stage actor, right? This would be somebody who acts in plays and stuff, and so in the hypocrites in Greek culture in ancient greece they were these stage actors and they wear these masks maybe you've seen them where they have these very exaggerated expressions on the masks, right you get like these huge smiles or these really deep frowns so that people in the very back of the theater could understand the emotion that the actors were trying to portray so here's the idea behind what a hypocrite is he says a hypocrite is a stage actor hence it is a person who pretends to be something which they are not again so it's the idea of projecting an image, pretending to be what you are not in reality, wanting people to see you as something which you are not actually. So in this section, Jesus talks now, he's going to mention three spiritual disciplines, giving, prayer, and fasting. Now these three spiritual disciplines uh, were and are to this day the central requirements of uh, pietistic uh, Judaism. In other words, personal piety, personal religion in Judaism. If you were a this is central to the idea of what it means to be a good religious Jew. Charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. So Jesus says, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Now what Jesus is referring to is that this was an actual practice of some Pharisees in that day. The, the way that charitable giving was generally done through, was, in that time was through the temple or through local synagogues and the people would give their money to the synagogue or to the temple leaders, and the temple leaders or the synagogue leaders would then distribute that money to the poor, or they would use it to feed the poor or take care of the poor. It was all done very uh, discreetly. It was done anonymously, and this is something we do even in our church. I mean, this is something many, many churches do today. We do benevolence, and we do it discreetly and anonymously. The problem was, that, if the, that the Pharisees began to think, well, if I give anonymously through the temple or through the synagogue, well, then how will people know about my giving? Well, how will people find out about it if they don't see me do it? How will people know how generous I am because I'm a good religious person? And so here's what some of the Pharisees started doing. They would literally go into the streets and blow a trumpet. And that would be a sign for all the poor people to gather around and they would hand out money to the poor people just like right in their hand or they'd hand out things to them they were literally tooting their own horn right and so they, they would just blow this horn all the poor people would gather around and they'd give out the money and it was a public thing everybody could see oh wow how great this person is that he gives to the poor like this uh, but Jesus says the people who do that they're hypocrites because they aren't actually concerned with helping the poor they're not actually concerned with pleasing God what they're doing is they're just doing it to impress other people and that's not right it's rotten instead jesus says when you give notice he doesn't say if you give because jesus expected that his followers would be generous with their giving because that's who god has been to us god has been generous and he has given to us so jesus says not if you give but when you give don't even let your right hand know or sorry, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, obviously, that's a figure of speech, but the point is, do your giving discreetly and don't make a show out of it, so much so that if it were even possible, you wouldn't even let yourself know about what you're doing. In other words, Jesus is telling us, don't allow yourself any kind of indulgent self-congratulations for the things that you do. If you give with your right hand, Don't let your left hand pat you on the back is another way of putting it. Don't don't get in the mode of thinking, yeah, you know, I I really do give a lot. You know, I really do give more than others. You know, if everybody else around here gave like me, things would be a lot different. Things would be good. Jesus says, no, don't allow yourself indulgent self-congratulations when you do good things if you're really doing it for God, if you're really doing it to help other people, then don't make a show out of it. and Don't congratulate yourself for it. Don't pat yourself on the back. Just do it. Let God see it, and let God worry about rewarding you. He says, your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Know your audience. Know who you're doing it for. Are you doing it unto the Lord, or are you doing it to impress other people? The only reason you would want other people to know about your acts of piety is to impress them. And in that case, you're playing to the wrong audience and for the wrong reason. Now, some people read this and they would, they would get worried that if anybody finds out about their giving, that they would somehow lose their reward. And so some people don't even want to report it on their taxes. They don't want anything because they're worried that they'll lose their reward. I think, though, the point that you got to see here is that Jesus is talking about the issue of motives. What are you doing it for? Well, are you trying to impress other people, or are you doing it because uh, you truly are doing it unto the Lord? And if you're doing it unto the Lord, then it doesn't matter if anybody finds out about it. God sees the heart, and he sees the motive, and he will give a reward. So now after talking about giving, Jesus now transitions into talking about prayer in verse 5. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand in the, and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, like with giving, Jesus doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. The assumption is that disciples of Jesus will pray. Jesus' disciples, though, he says they shouldn't pray like the hypocrites do. Now, how did the hypocrites do it? The hypocrites loved to be seen by others, so they would stand on the street corners and pray. So imagine a bustling city where everybody's getting around by foot, and so they're at one of the main intersections where there was maximum visibility. These people who wanted to be seen as spiritual would stop there at these intersections, and they would pray out loud so they could be seen and heard by as many people as possible. And they loved to be asked to do the public prayer in the synagogue. That was really their moment to shine, right? Their moment to show off how beautifully and eloquently they could pray so other people would be impressed. In other words, these people weren't out there uh, praying for a desire, out of a desire to seek God or uh, to pour out their hearts to God for them prayer was an exhibition an exhibition of their knowledge and their eloquence for them prayer was hardly about God at all actually because it was really more of an opportunity for them to build a rela- a reputation and an image for themselves as a upstanding spiritual person Now, I don't know if you've ever encountered this where there's this sense of competition amongst people for image or status in a community. In some groups, you know, in in spiritual groups, sometimes that image or status can also have an air of spirituality to it. Honestly, I got to be honest, I, I, this isn't something that I find a lot here at Whitefields, but I have seen it in other places. Like we used to work with a Bible college, and we'd see it a lot amongst the Bible college students. You know, this big effort to prove how spiritual you are, that you're more spiritual than most, that you're really close to God because you are the most eloquent prayer of the group. Right? Or, or you're the one who really worships, right? Like you burn through a box of tissues every single time, right? Like you got a subscription where Amazon just sends you those big packs of tissue boxes because whenever you worship, you're in the front row, hands raised, on your knees, tears, mucus everywhere, and you're just going for it in worship because you are really serious about worship, right? And, and you know, the, the point is, what's the point in worshiping if nobody sees you, Right? You know, I mean, just and to be clear, I want to say this. I, I think that being expressive in worship and connecting with God is a good thing. I would encourage all of us to do that. I think that public prayer is a good thing. But again, the point is, Jesus is asking about motives. Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? Are you trying to impress other people with it? You, you know, you can do the exact same action for good sincere reasons or you can do that same exact action for hypocritical reasons it's really an issue of the heart and that's what Jesus is speaking about you know last Saturday during our outreach I was out there with one of our elders and uh, we were talking to a family from the community who had come out for the event now this family was from Lyons and they owned a ranch there that got flooded and, uh, you know, now they've moved here into town and they're just really struggling because they still got to pay mortgage on their ranch out there, even though they're not living there and they got to pay for a house here. So they're struggling to make ends meet. And, uh, and this guy, this elder from Whitefields I was standing there with, we were talking to this family and, and he says right there in the middle of the park, he says, hey, can I pray for you? And so he, he put his hand on him and he prayed for him right there that God would provide for him and take care of him and see, this, see them through this time. Now, was that a public prayer? Yeah, of course it was a public prayer. Did a whole bunch of people see him do that? Probably yes. But was he doing it in order to be seen by people, in order to impress people with uh, the fact that he's so spiritual? Well, not at all. He just cared about this family and wanted to bless them and, and ask God to help them in their difficulty. You see, it's not that there's something wrong with public prayer or, or with expressive worship that's not the issue at all the issue is why are you doing it what are you doing it for it's about knowing your audience and doing it unto the Lord from a pure heart or are you doing it to be seen by others and to impress them that's the question so Jesus says if the goal of prayer is to seek God and to speak to God then it shouldn't matter if anybody ever sees you doing it it shouldn't matter if anybody ever hears you if you're talking to God, then it doesn't matter if your prayers are eloquent or if you're stumbling and awkward, right? It's Because you're talking to God. He doesn't need your eloquent words. He sees your heart, and he, he already knows your needs anyway. So when you pray, Jesus says, don't do it for the show. He says, get alone with God where nobody can see you, where nobody can hear you, and just make it about you and God. The point is knowing your audience. Who are you doing it for? And if God is your audience, then it doesn't matter if anybody sees you. It doesn't matter if anybody knows how long you prayed or what you prayed for or how eloquent your prayers were. Have you ever been in a situation where, uh, you know, somebody is talking to one person but yet really they're trying to say something to somebody else who's within earshot of their conversation. You know, I'm talking about like they pretend they're talking to one person, but they know that somebody else is over here and can hear them, so they say something really loud as if they're talking to this person, but they're really trying to say something to that person. Now that that kind of thing is actually an insult, right? It's an insult both to the person that they are speaking to directly and the person they're kind of speaking to indirectly in a backhanded way. And that's what a person is doing when they pray publicly, not to speak to God, but to be heard by other people because they're trying to instruct people or correct people or even impress people who are hearing them pray. He says it's an insult to God and it's an insult to the people who you are uh, indirectly speaking to. The Greek word used here when he says go into your room, that Greek word used for room actually refers to a closet. And not just any kind of closet, but the kind of closet where precious things and treasures were kept. And that's an interesting picture that Jesus is painting there, right? That when you go to spend time with God, not, not to impress people, not to be heard by people, but to genuinely, sincerely commune with God, there are treasures that await you in that place. And now Jesus instructs us about the right attitude about prayer. Verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What, what God desires from us is not empty ritualism, but authentic relationship. So Jesus says, when you pray, avoid vain repetition, right? Avoid words with no meaning, with no heart, just kind of empty filler. Jesus says, when you pray, don't feel the need to even use a lot of words, now, this was very countercultural to the thinking of Jesus' day, and probably even to the thinking uh, in our day as well. There were rabbis in Jesus' day who would say things like this Whoever is long in prayer is heard. Another rabbi said this Whenever the righteous make their prayers long, their prayer is heard. And the general thinking was, the longer the better, right? The more words you use, the more God will be inclined to hear you and answer your prayer. But Jesus says, that is not how children of God should pray to their heavenly Father. One common Jewish prayer of Jesus' day began like this. This is something that they would memorize and they would repeat often. So this was kind of the intro to prayer, right? It would say, blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. And then they would go on from there. Now that's something they memorized, they repeated it, and they repeated it somewhat mindlessly, right? Now now think about this, if you have children, and your children come to you, and before they ever say anything to you, they, they come with this like long intro, right? Like, oh, dearest, kindest, generous, good-looking, and handsome father, uh, you know, yada 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 for five minutes right before they ever speak to you or talk to you about anything you would say well thanks I guess but you don't really need to do that every time just you're my child just talk to me tell me what's going on I want to hear from you I love it when you talk to me do you need something how are you feeling just talk to me you know in many religions too prayer consists of the repetition of memorized prayers sometimes even in languages which the person praying does not even understand. We worked in a refugee camp for years, my wife and I, and we worked with a lot of Muslims, and many of these Muslims were from Africa and from Southeast Europe, and like Bosnia, Chechnya, places like that. And so they would pray multiple times a day. Five times a day they would pray, and they would pray in Arabic because that's how you have to pray in their religion. But the thing is that they didn't speak Arabic. Like, they didn't even speak a word of Arabic. They had just memorized these Arabic prayers and most of them had no idea what the prayers said. Like, we would ask them, like, what, are, what does that mean? And they would, I don't know, I just say it, right? This is, that's how we pray. And they would pray five times a day, repeating these memorized phrases that they didn't even understand. They didn't know what they were saying. It was literally mindless repetition. And Jesus says, no, that is not how a Christian should pray. A Christian is a person who has become a child of God, and that's not how children speak to their fathers. I mean, imagine if you had children, and every time they talked to you, they just repeated some memorized phrase, and then went on their way. And that would be heartbreaking for a parent, because parents love, a loving parent desires a relationship with their children. They don't just want some dutiful repetition void of mind and of heart. So when you talk to God, Jesus tells us, he says, it should be sincere. It should be from the heart. It should be an expression of your relationship with him, not just heaping up empty words and phrases. God isn't impressed with the length of your prayers or by the eloquence of your prayers, but by the heart of your prayers. True eloquence in prayer is found in the depth of its desire and in the simplicity of its faith. God doesn't measure the prayer of a Christian by length, but by weight. How much substance does it have? In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon says, he says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You don't have to pile on words and phrases when you pray. Just pray. Pray with faith. Pray with fervency. This is all based on a principle which Jesus reminds them of there in verse 8 where he says, your father knows what you need before you even ask of him. If God already knows everything, then the purpose of prayer is not to inform God about a situation. Like, God, I don't know if you know what's going on down here, but you should really take a look at this, right? The purpose is not to inform God, but it's for us to connect with God as, though, as one who loves us and cares about our problems and, and one who has invited us to come to him with our needs. So again, it's important to know your audience. Depending on who your audience is, it will change the way that you pray. If you're praying to be seen and heard by others or if you're praying uh, so that you can feel good about yourself because you clocked in like 12 minutes straight or because you're praying to God for the sake of connecting with God, your audience, knowing your audience, will affect how you pray. Who you're doing it for and why you're doing it will affect what you do and how you do it. Now go with me to verse 16. We're going to... Look next week at how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the famous uh, Lord's Prayer. That's going to be next Sunday. But here I want to go to verse 16 and 17 because they belong to the same discussion about knowing your audience and doing acts of piety to be seen by others. So he says in verse 16, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, like with giving and praying, Jesus assumes that his followers will fast. For people in Jesus' day, fasting was considered a core spiritual discipline, and observant Jews would fast twice a week, on Monday and on Thursday. The reason? Because Monday was the day that Moses went up the mountain to receive the law, and Thursday was the day that he came down. Now, a fast, as they understood it, was not just giving up, you know, chocolate or soap operas or something, right? But for them, a fast actually meant the total absence of food. Now, it is my observation that fasting is something which most evangelical Christians today do not practice regularly, but I think that in our day and age and in our culture— we need the spiritual discipline of fasting perhaps more than any other time in history. You know, it's, it's become this thing where if you'd ask modern evangelical Christians, what are the core spiritual disciplines? They would include reading of Scripture... But they would not necessarily include fasting. It might not even come to their mind. But Jesus includes it as a core spiritual discipline. I would say in our society today, we have a greater need to practice the spiritual discipline of fasting than at any other time ever before. And I'll tell you why. Because fasting has to do with self-denial and self-discipline. And we live in a consumer culture. Our society drives us to be consumers and to consume All the time and you know what fasting does fasting is a way of saying I'm going to stop consuming I'm gonna take a break from consuming let me tell you that is very liberating in the consumer society that we live in today it's a way of teaching ourselves to not let our physical desires drive us but that we make a conscious choice and decision to choose what desires we fulfill and what we don't right to deny our flesh and to make our spiritual life a priority Fasting is also linked to prayer. Every time you see fasting, it's always linked with prayer. When you fast, you're denying your flesh, but you're also spending that time seeking God and praying. So Paul the Apostle, he put it this way. He says, I beat my body and I make it my slave, right? Now, think about this. How many people are the opposite of that? Instead of making their body their servant or their slave, they are enslaved to their body. That's what addiction is, right? I mean, it's when you become a slave to your body's desires and demands. But instead of doing that, the disciple of Jesus is to be a person who is free from addiction and is a slave to no thing except for the will of God. Fasting is a way for us to set our priorities and say, I will not be a slave to my body, but I will train myself in self-discipline and self-control. I will not be a constant consumer. I will take a break from consumption and deny my flesh in order to, to focus on spiritual things. So fasting is a good thing. It's something that Jesus assumed his followers would do, but he wanted to make sure that they didn't do it the, sa- the way that some people did it. Now when the Pharisees would fast clearly, here's what they would do. They wanted to make sure that everybody knew about it. So they would not wash themselves. They'd just look terrible, and they'd walk around with long faces, moaning and groaning about how hungry they were and how hard it was to, to be a follower of God. But you know what? It, their goal was to show how spiritual they are. But Jesus says, no, no. He says, consider your audience. Who are you doing this for? Are you doing this to impress other people? Or are you doing it for the Lord? If you're really doing it for sincere reasons, here's the test. Don't let anybody know about it. Don't post about it on Facebook like, man, I'm fasting this week and it's super hard. But, you know, some people got to do it because that's just what you do when you're hardcore about Jesus. You know, he so says, don't take a picture of yourself with this frowny face and post it on Instagram. I'm hungry and now I know how people in third world countries feel, right? No, instead, just put on nice clothes, fix yourself up, make yourself look good so that no one would ever know that you're fasting. Just keep it between you and God. You see, if William Shakespeare's right, and the whole world is a stage, and we're all actors and actresses, then when it comes to the area of piety, make sure that you're performing for an audience of one. Make sure that there is only one person who you're trying to impress and trying to please, God himself. That there's one individual you're doing these things for and whose approval matters to you, and that's God himself. This is the point of what Jesus is saying in this section. And it's an important point, that piety is a good thing. You should pray, you should read your Bible, you should go to church, you should give, you should fast. These are spiritual disciplines that make you stronger. There are ways that you exercise your faith. There are ways that you partner with God to become the man or the woman of God that he desires you to be. But just make sure you're doing it for the right audience. Make sure you're clear on why you're doing those things, who you're doing them for, because a lot of people get off track with that. And and rather than doing those things unto the Lord, they do them to be seen by other people in order to build a image or a reputation or a persona about themselves, which may or may not be true, but it's all about what other people think about them. You know, the message of the gospel in closing, the message of the gospel is that God loves you. He loves you not because you're a good person. He loves you in spite of your flaws and your failures and your sins. In fact, before you ever loved him or before the thought ever came into your mind that you might even remotely like him, God loved you so much that he did something incredibly radical, that he might make you his own. The God of the universe, perfect, holy, transcendent, He took on human flesh and he walked the dusty streets of this world. Why? In order to relate to you. In order to show you his ways. But even more than that, he came to save you by giving his life for you in exchange for you. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death in order to take the judgment for your sins upon himself. And having died, he overcame death and the grave. He blew up hole in the prison walls of death and rose from the dead in order to make a way for us also to escape death and have eternal life through him. That is the good news of the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And because of the gospel, here's the amazing thing. That we who were at one time enemies of God, we can now become children of God. We can receive a new identity, a new future in him because of what he has done for us. You can relate to God as a child relates to a loving father. And here's what that means, and here's how it all ties in. As a result of that, because of the gospel, you don't have to worry about putting on a show. Do you realize that? You can relax. Like, you don't have to put on a show because God knows you fully, He sees beyond the facades and the masks. He sees down to the reality of who you really are in your heart of hearts, and he loves you completely. And you know what that means? It means that you're free. You're free to be real. You're free to be honest. You're free to be yourself. Because God knows who you really are, and yet he loves you completely. You see, that's the thing about putting on masks. We all kind of have this assumption that either we can be fully known or fully loved, but not both. Because if somebody were to know us fully, They wouldn't be able to love us and in order to be loved fully we have to keep some things secret or we have to project a certain image but here's the message of the gospel that God knows you fully and yet he loves you completely and because of that you're free you're free to stop putting on a show you're free to just be who you are do you understand what what an incredible sense of security that gives a person The message of the gospel is that God knows you fully and he loves you completely. And because that's true, it means you're free to stop pretending. You're free to seek God from a pure heart and an honest heart. You're free to pray and give and fast and all for the right motives. Not to be seen by other people, but in order to develop and foster this relationship with God. And it's when you do it that way that you receive your reward from him. Amen? Would you please stand with me and pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that before we ever loved you or even remotely liked you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you came and you gave your life for us in order that we might be children of God. And what an amazing thing that is. And Lord, may we truly relate to you as a father. May we speak to you as a father. May we do things unto you as a child unto a father who is completely secure in the love of that father for them. Lord, would you do that for us? Would you enliven our hearts and refresh that sense of what the gospel means for us as we go today, that we might live unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This message was brought to you by Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more media content or to find out more about our church, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com.